Good to see you this morning. Uh, as you know, we are in our uh, final week of Psalm 23, and uh, I don't know about you, but I thought it was pretty good, huh? Not, not, not bad. Um, it's a great psalm. Um, it, it was probably uh, written later in David's life. It, it's about life as David uh, sees it, as David lived it, uh, a life that... Um, is spent under uh, watchful care of a loving shepherd. And so he talks about how the good shepherd meets his needs and gives him direction and purpose in life and how the shepherd gave him the courage and confidence to face uh, the hard things of life. And he talks about how God had filled his life with uh, abundance. And now he ends the psalm with really a note of triumph, right? He says in verse 6, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I shall dwell in, in the house of the Lord uh, forever. Uh, in this last verse, David uh, emphasizes the sense of hope that God has a promise to his people. And, and, and I actually think there are a lot of Christian people out there that are the exact opposite of David, right? They're just negative and, and pessimistic people. They, they, they carry on about, you know, the economy's bad and this is bad and can't trust anyone and on and on it goes. And the truth of the matter is, is that the Bible teaches a completely different outlook, right? The Bible teaches us that even though we have problems, right? The world's not a perfect place. We have struggles that we endure, right? God is in control and he takes care of his people, and even though you and I, we will pass through the valley of the shadow of death, right? But we need not fear evil. We need not fear the future. Why? Because God is in control. Since God is in control, guess what? We have hope. We have hope for today. We have hope for tomorrow. We have hope for our relationships. We have hope for our families. We have hope for our jobs. Hope for our needs being met. We have hope that our life will make a difference. We have hope for, for spending eternity in heaven with Jesus. I saw this quote this past week about hope. It said this, hope is a dangerous thing. Hope can drive a man insane. It's got no use on the outside. That's the way some people feel, right? And, and, and they feel that way on the inside as well. Right? So they say things like, don't get your hopes up or don't expect too much. Right? Life's just one disappointment after another. Might as well get used to it. Right? That's how some people feel. And I think sadly, some of those are believers. Okay, can I tell you today that hope is a good thing? That, that, that it is okay to feel hopeful about your life and your future. Why? Because God is in control. And I am convinced the more we walk with Jesus, the more we spend time in his word, the more our outlook on life is defined by hope. 
There was a man that approached the Little League baseball game one afternoon, and he, he didn't know what the score was, and, and so he asked this boy in the dugout, he, he said, hey, what's, what, what's the score? And the, the, the little boy responded, 18 to nothing, we're behind. The guy goes, wow, I, I bet you're discouraged. Here's what the little boy said. Why should I be discouraged? We haven't even got up to bat yet. Right? Right? Like that's the attitude that, that people should have when their lives are under the care of the good shepherd. Right? We should be undeniably and irreversibly hopeful. And even though David, he, he endured a lot of heartbreak, right? David had tragedy in, in his life. He had failure in, in his life. And, and yet he was still able to say, what? Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And so today we're going to look at what it means to have hope. You know, the Apostle Paul said there were three things that remain, right? Faith, hope, and love. And we know that we're supposed to live lives of love, right? We know that we're supposed to live our life by faith. But what about the third part of the equation? How do you live a life of hope? Well, we're going to look at three things this morning. Go ahead and take your... No cheats out of your program. You can follow along with me as we take a look at uh, verse 6 here. And so first, having hope means that you can live uh, with a sense of certainty. All right, so as I mentioned in the first week of our series, there's about 120 words in this psalm. And so when you have only 120, every word becomes important. And one of the most important words is this verse First, uh, a word of verse 6, surely. Go, go ahead and write down that word in your notes. It's like not maybe or perhaps not possibly or probably, but rather he says what? Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me. Right? It's a result of what is stated in the previous verses. The effect of God's merciful dealings with David led him to this to, to the assurance that God would always be his shepherd, that God would always uh, be his friend, and he would never leave him. And we can be certain of those same promises of God in our lives today. And the, the same idea is expressed in the New Testament when Paul says in Romans 8, 28, and we know that all things, were, or all things God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his Purpose, right? So God's sovereignty and ability to manage every aspect of our lives is demonstrated, but by the fact that all things work together for good to, to those that love God, right? However, here's what we know, right? Romans 8, 18 knows that we will uh, have and face the sufferings of this present time, right? And God is even able to take those sufferings and work them together for, for our good and his glory, and then it says that, that, that he's able to work all things, not some things. He works them for good together, not in isolation. And the promises for those that, that love God in, in a biblical understanding of, uh, of love. And God manages the affairs of our life because we're what? We're called according to his purpose. And, and that's what David is saying. He's saying, surely. 
Surely we can live with a sense of expectation because Romans 8.28 clearly teaches that God is in control and he's at, he's at work in your life and in mine. It's kind of like this. It's kind of like when you watch your favorite TV show and the main character uh, gets themselves into a jam, right? A situation, a place where they can't get out of. And, and what do we know? Well, we know the main character is going to be in the next episode because it's their show, right? And so when I watch my, my, my favorite TV show, I don't think to myself, oh no, the, will the main character survive? Is this the end? I don't think that. Right? Instead, what am I thinking? I'm thinking, hmm, this is interesting. How, how will, will, will he or she get out of the mess? It's not a, a matter of if, but it's a matter of how, because we all know that the producers of the show are committed to the main character and, the, the, and he or she will be in the next ex- episode. You know what? The same is true as for us as Christ followers. It's not a question if God will get you through a difficult situation. It's a question of how. Right? It's not a question if God will bring blessings into your life. It's a question of how. It's not a question if God will work things out for your good and his glory. It's a question of how. And so when I find myself in situations where I can't figure out what's going to happen, my thought process is simply this. Hmm. That's interesting. I wonder how God's going to work things out. And I know he will. Why? Because I'm in the next episode. Right? But the only thing I don't know is how is he going to do it. That's where hope comes in. And as God's people, we can say, surely, surely. Well, we can live with a sense of certainty. Second, that to have hope means that you can live with a sense of optimism. Right? David goes on to say that goodness and mercy shall follow him all, all the days of his life. So, so David's like, what's coming my way? Is it irritations? Is it disappointments? Is it sickness? Is it problems? David says, no, goodness and mercy are coming my way. Or you could say blessing is, is coming his way or, or opportunities are coming his way or power over sin is coming his way or, or strong relationships is coming his way. And I think Psalm 23 reminds us that it is okay to be optimistic. One of the things that I enjoy about working in our office here at the church is, is how optimistic, uh, especially, you know, the other employees like Deb and Christy and Matt, and they're all optimistic, right? That's not me, right? I need to be reminded that, that it is okay to be hopeful about the future because I'm on the other end of that spectrum. I, I, I'm the guy that's like going, okay, we're all getting blown up tomorrow, right? David first says here that goodness will follow him. Well, well, how do we know that? Well, first we can expect good things to happen, right? We can expect blessings from God. And even in the tough times of life, we can expect good things to come out of it. And then there's another sense in which the goodness that's coming our way is that you and I are becoming holy, right? After Paul said that all things work together for good, he said that we're being what? Conformed to the image 
of God's Son. Over in the book of Philippians, Paul says this, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the end or until the day of Christ Jesus. So, so when Paul thought of the beginning of God's work among the Philippian church, from that very first day, it was natural that he thought of the day when that work would be, in fact, completed. And Paul expresses optimism in God's ability to complete that work. Right? It was in the fact that, that a good work begun in the Philippians, and really in all of us, right, as believers, that this work of grace has its root in the divine goodness of the Father. It is planted by the self-denying goodness of the Son, and is daily watered by the goodness of the Holy Spirit. And God is a worker who completes his works. Right? Do you ever see an instance where, like, God got halfway done? And just like stopped. No, we don't see that. This work in the believer will not finally be complete until the day of of Jesus Christ, right? In the context, it has the idea of the second coming of Jesus and our resurrection with Christ. It, it, It is at this point that God will finish that which he has started. And he will make us like Jesus, It's an interesting thought, right? That one day we're going to be like holy people. You're thinking to myself, really me? I'm going to be holy? Yeah. Yeah, you will. It's not only possible, it's what? It's surely. As we walk with the shepherd and we put ourselves into his care, he is working on us day in and day out. And then David says also what mercy will follow us. This is a very important phrase that he uses here because we all need mercy. Sheep have a tendency to wander. Uh, Guess what? I think we have the same tendency. That's why Isaiah wrote in chapter 53, verse 6, and we've looked at this verse before, all we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Right here, the prophet describes our need for the Messiah's atoning work. And I've said throughout the entire series that, that sheep are stupid, right? Right, they're headstrong animals, and we like that. We, we've gone astray. Right, we've turned against God's way. And each way that is our own way instead of the Lord's way is, is both sinful and, and destructive. It's why God said through Isaiah in chapter 60, verse 10, foreigners will come to rebuild your towns and their kings will serve you. For though I have destroyed you in my anger, I will now have mercy on you through my grace. And as parents, we get this, right? Because sometimes we have to come behind our kids and pick up after them, right? They get in this jam or that jam, and we try to help them out. We we take homework to school for them, right? Or in my case, it was like track cleats that we forgot all the time, right? That's what our Heavenly Father does for us, right? He understands the process of growing up. The, the process of becoming Christ-like. He understands that we need his mercy again and again and again. And, and we need it. He is always there. 
why the writer of Hebrews said, so let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we'll find grace to help us when we need it most. Because why? We have a high priest who is both omnipotent and compassionate. And because of that, we come boldly to the throne of God, to the throne of grace. And when we come, we obtain mercy. That's not getting what we deserve. And we find grace. That's getting what we don't deserve. And when do we find those things? We find those things, what? In our time of need. Rabbis years ago taught that, that God had two thrones, one of mercy and one of judgment. And they said this because they knew that God was both merciful and just and, and they couldn't reconcile those two attributes of God. And, and you know, I, I don't really believe that, that God had two thrones displaying the two aspects of his character. On one throne, he would show his judgment. On the other, his mercy. I think right here, in the light of the finished work of Jesus Christ, we see mercy and judgment reconciled into one throne of grace. And remember that grace does not ignore God's justice. Right? It operates in fulfillment of God's justice in light of the cross. And then it says we find grace to help in time of need. And thankfully, God provides help in our time of need. No request is too small because he wants us to what? Be anxious about nothing, but in everything in prayer, let your request be made known to God, Philippians 4, 6. So, so living with hope means that we have a sense of optimism about our lives and our future. It means that you know God is for you and not against you. That, that he gives as much mercy as we need, and that mercy will follow us wherever we go. And then there's a third aspect of living in hope, and that is you can live with a sense of favor. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What David is saying here is wherever you go, it goes. Right, Which means when you go to work, you can be sure God's favor is following you. When, when you spend time with your family, guess what? God's favor is following you. When, when you reach out to those in need or when you give, you can be sure that God's favor is following you. And as, and as the people were preparing to go into the promised land, God said this to him in Deuteronomy 11, 24 and 25. Every place on which the sole of your foot treads shall be yours. And your territory shall be from the wilderness to the Lebanon and from the river, the river Euphrates to the western sea. And no one shall be able to stand against you. And the Lord, uh, your God, will lay the fear of you and the dread of you on all the land that you shall tread as he promised you. So, so God promised to fight the battles of an obedient Israel. And I think many of us desire God to fight our battles, except for here's the problem. We have little interest in obeying him, right? Or cultivating a deep relationship of love, which obedience grows from. Every place on which the sole of your foot treads, God says that, that, that he's going to be there. And he repeated this promise to Joshua when Israel was about to cross over to the Jordan River in Canaan in Joshua 1.3. 
And then he continues, no man should be able to stand against you. And when Israel walked in love with the Lord and was obedient to him, they were unbeatable, right? No man could defeat them. Greater was God who was with them than who was in the world, 1 John 4, 4. Right, that's the favor of God, right? I will bless you, I will give you victory and nothing will stand in your way. Now, what I'm not talking about here this morning is an arrogant sense of entitlement, right? Understand this. God doesn't give us our favor because he loves us more than somebody else. No, 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 no. He gives us favor because we have chosen to love him more than anything else. He gives us favor because he's our shepherd and we are identified as his sheep and we belong to him and his favor rests upon us and all the days of our lives and all the days of eternity because we dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And a lot of people have interpreted this phrase to mean heaven. And in one sense, I I think it does mean heaven, but in another sense, you can start living in the house of the Lord today. Right, You can live today with the favor of a chosen son or daughter. And that favor never runs dry. It never ends. And I've been using the word hope throughout the message today. And and hope can be defined with the word expectation. And, And we can live in expectation of a blessed eternity. Because we have a loving, gentle shepherd who watches over us with care. So so every week I've been giving you some homework to help the message of this psalm just kind of seep into your soul. Right? And and seep at a level that that it gets, uh, my, my prayer for us is that it gets so deep it can't get any deeper. So, so here's my question. How have you been doing with the homework? <laughs> well, like how many people last week made a list of things in your life which your cup is running over? Anybody? All right, there's like five. That's good. I'll take that. That's like four more than last service. We're rolling. All right? Those that did it, I bet you it was a long list. This week, we're going to continue on. We're going to finish memorizing Psalm 23, all six verses. Anybody do that? Anybody memorize all six verses? There we go. Last time, we're going to read it all together. Are you ready? Here we go. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his namesake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely... Amen? Amen. Yeah. All right, second thing to do this week is that would you write down just three good and merciful things that follow you? 
It could be an unexpected blessing. It could be an experienced victory. Maybe you fell down and God helped you back up on your feet before it was too late, right? Just three merciful things that have happened to you. The book of Isaiah says this in Isaiah 40, 11, he will feed his flock like his shepherd. He will carry the lambs in his arms, holding them close to his heart. He will gently lead the mother sheep with their young, right? This refers to all the care of a shepherd that he has over his flock, right? It means to tend, to guard, to govern, to provide pasture, to defend from danger, right? All these things that the shepherd does. And it is often applied in the scriptures to God who represents what? A tender shepherd. And especially applied to the redeemer. It's often applied to a leader or a ruler of people. 2 Samuel 5, 2, 7, 7 and Jeremiah 32, 2. And because of that, Homer often uses the phrase shepherds of the people to denote a ruler or a monarch. Here it denotes that God would reveal towards his people the same tender care and protection which a shepherd shows for his flock. And he shall gather the lambs with his arms. What a beautiful expression of the care that God has for the weakest of of people. Uh, a similar thing is often done by a shepherd, the tender lamb unable to keep up with the flock because it's weary and exhausted. And what does the shepherd do? The shepherd takes the sheep in his arm and he, and he, and he carries it. And here's my prayer, my prayer for, for us as this body of believers here at NCF as we close this series. And I hope that the message that you've heard over the last six weeks, you have heard loudly and clearly that our Lord, our God is not a drill sergeant, is not a tyrant, is not a taskmaster, but rather he is the good shepherd. Rather he is the one who, 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 who scoops us up and tenderly cares for us. And when we accept Christ into our hearts and we know Jesus and Jesus knows us, and as we put ourselves into his care, our lives are blessed with God's mercy and God's grace. Would you pray with me this morning? Father God, thank you for this text today. And God, I, my, my prayer is, is that I would clearly hear you say to me this morning, I am your hope. And God, I, I pray that I would clearly hear that over the voices of our society, over the voices of our culture, over the voices of those that are not Christ followers. Because Lord, your word says that you are the hope for the hopeless. And so my prayer this morning is that we would run to you. And that you would scoop us up in your loving arms. God, would you fill me with hope? Would you give me that tangible reminder today that hope is an unbreakable spiritual lifeline? And God, you know. You know the things in my heart that I barely dare to hope for. 
And so, God, I, I give those to you today. I, I trust them to you. And I do that and I ask that because, God, I know that, that, that you can do more than I could ever imagine or request. So, God, you are my hope. And today, I put my trust in you. And maybe you're here today, and maybe you've never put your hope and trust into Christ as Savior. Maybe today's the day that you want to do that. Maybe today's the day that you want to just admit that you're a sinner and that you need God's help. And you're willing today just to just to turn from your sin. And you believe today that Christ died for you, was buried for you, and rose again for you. If that's you today... And you just want to pray and ask Christ to come into your heart. Would you follow along with this prayer? Maybe it says, dear God, I just want to acknowledge to you this morning that I'm a sinner and I'm sorry for my sins and I need your forgiveness. And today I believe that your only son shed his precious blood on a cross at Calvary and died for my sins. God, you said in your word in Romans 10, 9, that if we confess and we believe in our hearts that you raised Jesus from the dead, we shall be saved. So God, right now, I confess Christ as as my Lord and my Savior. With my heart, I believe that God raised Jesus from the dead. And so right now, I want to accept Christ as my own personal Savior. Thank you, Jesus, for your unlimited grace, which has saved us from our sins. I want to thank you, God, for your grace that never leads to license, but rather always leads to repentance. So, God, we ask that you would transform our lives today so that we may bring glory and honor to you and you alone. Thank you, Jesus, for dying for me. It's in your precious name that I pray. Amen.